Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. The city of Pittsburgh recently banned the use of conversion therapy for minors under the age of 18. Conversion therapy is a term applied to non-scientific, non-sanctioned therapy sessions used to convert a gay person to a heterosexual person. It has its roots in religious organizations, and it's been criticized for using abusive techniques outside the approved mainstream methods of conventional treatment. Often participants are youths exhibiting homosexual tendencies or behaviors that are forced into treatment by parents. We will hear from several voices on this topic during the hour. The Pittsburgh City Councilman who spearheaded the effort, the administrator of a conversion program, and a Pennsylvanian who voluntarily tried several conversion programs before accepting who he is. First, we're speaking with Sarah Warbelow, legal director with the Human Rights Campaign, the nation's largest LGBT advocacy group with more than 700,000 members. Sarah Warbelow, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. So how does the Human Rights Campaign define conversion therapy? We define conversion therapy as any practice or effort to try to change an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity. And this can be done either by a licensed practitioner um, or someone who's just practicing out of their home um, or as part of a, a larger group. And these practices are incredibly dangerous to lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. Why are they dangerous? These are supposedly forms of therapy, and sometimes they do mirror legitimate therapy, like talk therapy, for example. Other times they involve abusive practices such as forced pornography watching, um, shock treatment, or even pure physical abuse in an attempt to get someone to change their sexual orientation or gender identity. But every major medical association has said, first of all, there's nothing wrong with being an LGBT person. It's completely normal, part of the human psyche, um, and part of our expression as humans. Secondly, that when you do attempt to change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity, you fail, um, and you end up increasing problematic behaviors. So, for example, people who are subjected to conversion therapy are more likely to attempt suicide. They're more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol and are more likely to have damaged relationships with their families and friends. You said that uh, it is something that can be practiced by a therapist who is licensed and probably many more who are not licensed. I'm a little surprised to hear that because, as you mentioned, uh, most accredited uh, medical organizations, psychiatric organizations out there, um, or credible, I should say, have said that, uh, you know, that this is, not, this is not scientific, it doesn't work. So there still are licensed therapists who practice this? Yes, unfortunately. Even though every major medical association from the American Psychiatric Association, the American Counseling Association, the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics have all said that this is a dangerous practice, um, because of the way that people typically code therapy sessions, they don't code it for conversion therapy. They just code it for other forms of, of therapy. Um, there is no sort of real practice of conversion therapy. It's a made-up set um, of practices that, that people use for this ulterior motive. 
And in most states, it's not illegal. Uh, though there are some states and a number of cities that are really putting forth efforts to change that legal landscape. Yeah, that's the reason that uh, we actually decided to do this program today, because uh, the city of Pittsburgh last week uh, banned conversion therapy for minors, those under the age of 18. The city of Philadelphia is considering it. A bill in the Pennsylvania state uh, legislature died before getting to committee last year. There are five states in the District of Columbia where it is illegal now. Uh, but as you said, many, many other states are considering it. So what's the motive behind this? In 2007, the APA released a report that had collected data from all sorts of different studies, really showing how terrible conversion therapy was. And many Americans, regardless of their political affiliation, took a step back and said, wow, this is something we really need to do something about. Um, It was also at a time when increasingly we were hearing in the news about young people who were bullied because of their LGBT status, who were taking their lives or attempting to take their lives, and states really felt like they needed to step up. California was that first state in, in 2012, but in the following years, two states with Republican governors at the time, New Jersey and Illinois, passed such laws And those Republican governors signed them into law. And every single state that has passed a ban on conversion therapy has done it with bipartisan support because it's just common sense that we want to make sure that our youth are not subjected to practices that are going to end up harming them instead of helping them. What are some of the pressures that drive people to these programs? Oftentimes, it's misinformation on the part of the parents. Um, You know, some parents live in communities or attend social functions where what they're learning from their peers is that there's something wrong with being an LGBT person. We still hear occasionally adults saying things like homosexuality is a mental illness, even though it was declassified in 1972. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And most of the time, parents really do want what's best for their kids. They just are misinformed. So we want to have in there that stopgap, that ability and responsibility of the therapist to say, I know this is what you're coming to me for, but if you really love your kid, let's figure out how to make your kid healthy healthy and happy with who they are. But rather than a, a psychiatric aspect to it, and, and, and you're right, I mean, that you know, we know that uh, that history uh, does exist, obviously, uh, but isn't there a large religious component to this that, uh, you know, this kind of goes back to the argument of whether homosexuality, someone is born that way, or is it a learned behavior that, uh, you know, there are many people who cite biblical verse, for example, who say that, uh, you know, this this is a choice, that uh, homosexuality, that those who are practicing homosexuality, that they're sinners. How do you argue with that? Mm-hmm. So, you know, individual churches are still allowed to teach uh, essentially whatever they want, and they always will be able to under the First Amendment. What these laws attempt to do is send a clear message to parents about what the science actually says and what therapists' responsibility towards LGBT youth are. 
Um, you know, I don't know if we will ever completely eliminate um, those teachings in churches about homosexuality, about gender identity, um, though certainly we have seen dramatic changes over time in the number of welcoming congregations for LGBTQ people. Mm. Um, but what's critically important is that when a child is taken to a therapist, that therapist isn't going to take um, that, what is frankly a misinformed mindset from a scientific perspective, um, and really continue uh, to abuse and, and torture a child. You know, one of the reasons that this issue is uh, getting more attention is because of the election of Donald Trump, but more specifically uh, with uh, uh, Pence, uh, Mike Pence being uh, the, the vice president. Uh, vice President-elect's 2000 congressional campaign website included the following language in his platform. Resources should be directed toward those institutions which provide assistance to those seeking to change their sexual behavior. Now, this has been understood to be a call for taxpayer resources to fund conversion therapy, though Pence's spokesman denied that. Besides that, uh, Pence and other members of Trump's incoming administration have demonstrated opposition to promoting LGBT rights. Uh, what's the concerns of your organization regarding use from forced conversion therapy moving forward with Mike Pence as part of the administration? Well, certainly uh, there is a concern that... Um, agencies like Health and Human Services or the Department of Education uh, will not be taking a hard line against conversion therapy. Um, the White House under President Obama has spoken out against conversion therapy and helped to share with the American public how dangerous the practice is. Um, as I said, many parents are really trying to do the right thing by their children, and if they're getting misinformation from our top elected officials, it can create a very dangerous atmosphere in which parents either feel empowered or even pressured um, to continue to engage in these abusive practices. Do you see anything happening on the national level? I mean, we've been talking about the states and the local municipalities that have uh, outlawed uh, conversion therapy. What about in the U.S. Congress? Well, in 2015, Representative Ted Lieu of California introduced a bill called the Therapeutic Fraud Prevention Act, um, and it would prohibit conversion therapy from being provided in exchange for monetary compensation. Um, and it's really based on the notion that what these therapists are engaging in is fraud. They're telling people that they can achieve an outcome for uh, the client that it's been proven over and over again they actually cannot achieve. Um, in addition, uh, the Human Rights Campaign, along with some of our partners um, at the National Center for Transgender Equality, um, the National Center for Lesbian Rights, uh, and the Southern Poverty Law Center, have asked the FTC to really investigate this as a fraudulent practice um, and to consider and, and um, issue rulings uh, against individuals who are uh, doing this for money and essentially lying to their, their clients. But how Unfortunately, far did you know, with the Republican-led uh, Congress now, uh, both the Senate and the House, uh, plus a Republican president who is hearing from a vice president, as you mentioned, um, who indicated that he has supported these efforts in the past, um, it's going to be a real uphill battle in order uh, to pass such legislation.
Sarah Warbelow is legal director with the Human Rights Campaign, the nation's largest LGBT advocacy group. Ms. Warbelow, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're discussing conversion therapy, an effort to change one's sexual orientation. It's been banned in five states and the District of Columbia. In Pennsylvania, legislation, a proposal didn't make it uh, out of committee and into the House. But there are several cities that uh, are considering and have actually uh, banned conversion therapy. If you have a question or comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. We started the program today by talking about uh, action taken in the city of Pittsburgh last week when uh, Pittsburgh City Council unanimously uh, passed an ordinance that uh, would ban conversion therapy for those under the age of 18. Joining us now is uh, Council President Bruce Krause. Councilman Krause, you sponsored this bill banning the use of conversion therapy on minors. Why'd you do it? Good morning. Thank Good morning. you for me. And uh, I would like to also add that the bill was co-sponsored by my colleague, uh, Councilman Dan Gilman. Um, the reason that we proceeded with this is much uh, in line with your previous guests and our concerns about an incoming administration, and especially a vice president who we believe is probably going to have more power in that administration than any vice president, at least in my lifetime, um, and his very public stance for support of conversion therapy and his desire to see funds redirected away from indigent HIV patients um, and to be placed then into conversion therapy. So to your knowledge, were there young people in Pittsburgh being forced into this therapy? Um, I did not receive direct communication from anyone that had, uh, but we received multiple emails of support from people that found the practice to be barbaric and wished to see us ban it. I have a, a, a speculation as to why we did not hear directly from people that had actually gone through conversion therapy, and I think there's a level of shame and embarrassment uh, factored in there. Um, and it would take a, a great deal of courage, I believe, for someone to step up and in a very public arena speak to having participated or having uh, been forced into uh, the horrible acts. Uh, that are part of conversion therapy. Now, when you say that, uh, and, and I have to admit that we actually had trouble finding someone who was willing to say that uh, they, they believe in this practice or have uh, participated in it. But when you say that there's a shame and embarrassment factor, we've also found people who are willing, who have gone through or who are willing to speak out and say, you know, this didn't work. It was abusive. So how do you explain those people who were ashamed and embarrassed? Well, I, I'm speaking to as an openly gay man who came out in 1972 um, and born in 1954. You can imagine that the social norms were quite different then. And even at the young age of about eight and nine, my parents to work trying to, to understand who and what I was. Um, and uh, I remember them seeking uh, medical attention uh, for me to perhaps um, 
uh, help me to have a better understanding of who I am and to help them have a better understanding of who I am. Now, I don't for a minute suggest that that was a form of conversion therapy, but um, it is an experience that I did have in my life, and so I can appreciate how and why people would, um, parents would want to seek that. Um, taking a very young child into a medical uh, or psychological situation and basically telling that person in either overt or covert ways that they are fundamentally flawed or damaged and somehow need to be changed or corrected, I would call the very definition of shame-based behavior. Hmm. You know, I mentioned that uh, one of the reasons that we did want to talk about this is because of uh, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia is considering a bill. It was considered in the Pennsylvania House. Is there support out there for a ban across the state? Uh, you know, I can't speak to that. It would be speculative in nature. Um, even after the Supreme Court ruling, uh, uh, making marriage equality the law of the land, the state of Pennsylvania still struggles really with even the just most fundamental legislation, and that is uh, anti-discrimination based on sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression in a statewide arena. Um, so I'm not holding out hope at this moment that there would be um, a desire for statewide ban on conversion therapy, but one can always hold hope. How does your bill define conversion therapy? Well, it's really very simple, uh, and if, the, if you engage me, I'll, I'll read it to you. It really is only one sentence, um, and it reads as follows. No mental health professional shall engage within the geographic boundaries of the city of Pittsburgh in sexual orientation or gender identity or expression conversion efforts with a minor without regard to whether the mental health professional is compensated or receives any form of remuneration for his or her services. And that's the entire bill. Now, you know that uh, if the guidelines are set, uh, that there are purveyors of the programs that can use some different wording to sidestep the letter of the law. How can that be addressed? And And one of the reasons I say that is I know that there are some who stop using the word therapy. Well, of course, there's always there's always those that are going to seek a form of loophole uh, on any legislation that may be crafted and passed. That is uh, where we as elected officials have a, a duty and a due diligence to always be mindful. Um, and if and when the time presents itself that we should uh, tweak, then definitely we will. But at this point in time, our law department is quite comfortable, and the language that we crafted believes that it is uh, enforceable and can easily be upheld in a court of law if it were to be challenged. What are the penalties? Uh, there are no penalties uh, that are defined in the legislation. So how do you stop someone from doing it if they actually do it? Well, you know, I think the, the, uh, the challenge for elected officials is uh, to find a balance between citing people uh, into compliance and educating people into compliance. And on this, I believe we're following the path of educating people into compliance. Mm -hmm. All right, I want to take a phone call from Ed in Lancaster. Ed, you're on the air. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to comment in terms of research that is going on. I haven't looked at recent research, but in the past, uh, a German just did some work. His name was Gunther Dorner, in which he used rats and bite 
putting under stress during the first trimester was able to bring about homosexual behavior in these rats. Uh, now, rats are not human, I realize that. But there's been other work that's gone on by researchers throughout the world that clearly identify homosexual behavior in male and female as something that is not controlled. I used to tell my students, and I did teach, uh, I'd say, you know, consider this. If you, if the, it was reversed, and 9% of the population was uh, heterosexual, and the rest of the population were homosexual, and that homosexual community said to you, hey, you have to become homosexual like us. What would be your reaction? And of course, the rea assuming, right, perhaps wrongly so, that you are heterosexual, your reaction would be what? And the students invariably said, well, no way. I, I, I know how, I, 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 how my mind works. And we know that the mind is shaped in the first uh, trimester as to our orientation towards uh, uh, homosexuality. Well, Ed, let me, let me ask you this. Are you, I, I'm, I'm trying to get, are you saying that someone is born as a homosexual, or are you saying that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And the evidence is there. All right. Thank you very uh, much for your call. Thank you. So if I may respond to Ed's uh, comments there, and speaking from a personally personal experience, there's not a moment in the 62 years that I've been privileged to exist on this planet that I did not inherently know that I was a gay uh, man. Now, in my very early adolescence, did I struggle to understand what that meant because I was different? Of course I did, but who I was at seven, I will be at 70. Hmm. Let's take another call from Jim in Enola. Jim, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Hi, Jim. Uh, I wanted to make a couple of comments. One is, I, I think that uh, some people in the media, uh, you know, and I know the media is a gross, the term the media is a gross overgeneralization, seem to feel that uh, all Christians are incredibly conservative and have their heads in the sand. And I have to say that, uh, you know, I'm a Christian and, and uh, I'm. I'm, I'm proud to, to be a Christian, and I think that, that uh, conversion therapy is ridiculous. Uh, we, we don't do things like, uh, like bleed people anymore, and, and we don't believe that uh, leprosy is, uh, is communicable or things like that. And, and, uh, and it, I believe that it is possible to be a Christian and to believe that there's nothing innately wrong with homosexuality. Uh, and by the way, I would, I would be happy to engage in a debate with anybody who believes that there is specific language in the Bible that says that all homosexuality is wrong. I firmly believe it is, that it's not, and uh, those two uh, particular sections of the Bible that are used, I believe, are grossly taken out of context. So th those are my comments. Well, Jim, let me, before you go, one thing I will say, sure. Uh, sure. I, I agree with you that uh, often, uh, you know, and again, using the term media, that often that uh, Christians are portrayed as just being, you know, monolithic, that, you know, all Christians are evangelical and this these are their beliefs. But the reality is, and I will say personally, and here at WITF, that that's not our, our point of view. We know that everyone has a different point of view. 
Yeah, and, and if I could just add to that, I, uh, people talk about uh, you know liberal media bias. I think in the area of religion, it has to be said that there is some media bias in the area of religion uh, on the part of the mainstream media, and, and I, I'm afraid that I you know I, I love NPR. I'm a big supporter of NPR, but I see too many stories that talk about really really conservative kind of marginal groups and and the implication it's never stated but the implication is that all christians are like that and we're just not all like that all right jim thank you very much for your call uh, councilman uh, yeah. what about that i mean he, he you know i was trying to make the point that we all don't have that point of view but sure. he is right yes but staying away from a uh, a specific religious uh, point of view or a specific religious group uh, there is a thought out there, or there is the thought out there, that this is somehow sin-based, and that, uh, as I said earlier, homosexual people are inherently damaged in some way or flawed in some way. And if that were truly the case, and this was sin-based in some way, then I would offer up why is there not uh, active uh, uh, call for conversion therapy for uh, fornication or for adultery or for gluttony or for uh, uh, theft, or and, and the list goes on and on. It, it is targeted, and it's targeted against a specific uh, class of people, and it is, uh, I believe it is, is driven by a form of uh, very deep-seated prejudice. Pittsburgh City Council President Bruce Krauss, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for letting me join you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. We'll continue taking your phone calls, 1-800-729-7532. You can send an email, smarttalk at WITF.org. You also can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. We're discussing conversion therapy. Joining us now on the phone from Charlottesville, Virginia, is Rich Weiler. Mr. Weiler is the founder of Brothers on a Road Less Traveled, an organization that provides workshops and resources for gay men who want to convert to heterosexual men. Mr. Weiler, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Now, you founded Brothers on a Road Less Traveled. You offer what you call workshops to help men to fight homosexual feelings and turn to a life of heterosexuality. You do not offer services to anyone under the age of 18, and everyone who participates does so voluntarily. Uh, you once confronted your own homosexual feelings. Why did you resist them? They didn't fit for me. I mean, I, I didn't resist them always. There was a time that I identified myself as gay, and I, I very much sought out live, to live the gay life in, in Los Angeles in the late 80s, and I found that it just didn't bring me the happiness that I was hoping for. It didn't bring me the peace. It was in conflict with other parts of myself. I wanted to be married. I was I was religious but willing to give up my religion in order to, in whatever way would help me find peace. Uh, and so it's just an internal conflict that that the sexual expression did not did not resolve. When you say that you had this internal conflict, you know, be a little more specific. Do you mean that even though you um, were attracted to men, that you, there was an internal conflict within yourself that you said I shouldn't be doing this? Right, and then in being involved with them, it brought me some immediate enjoyment, but later 
I just felt guilty. I felt bad about myself. It wasn't, it was like drinking salt water to quench my thirst. The more I uh, followed that path, the more dissatisfied that I became. And so it obviously wasn't working for me. And that's my, that's just my story. I'm not saying that there aren't gay men who are very um, happy and resolved and, and at peace and living their life. But I think there are others where that's a whole lot more nuanced and complicated than that, either because of religious conflicts or just identity conflicts, or for, for whatever reason, uh, the homosexual expression is addressing some other something other than their innate sexuality. It might be, you know, uh, a father hunger, an unmet father hunger, or unmet friends, male bonding hunger, or whatever, some other issue that didn't get resolved, and they're attempting to resolve it or address it sexually when that's really not what, what they need to do. So you now offer workshops. <clears throat> Describe them. The name is Journey into Manhood. They are, uh, it's 48 hours, uh, Friday to Sunday, it's a, a weekend of uh, intense self exploration, self discovery, and to understanding why do I have this conflict. They're not designed for, for men who are trying to decide which way to go so much as men who are saying, you know what, this doesn't work for me. I've tried being gay, or else I'm married to a woman, but having, you know, sexual temptations with men on the side or you know something they're in they're in conflict and so they come to our workshop to do, to try to work that out and see are there underlying issues that are driving this rather than my innate sexual sexuality or sexual identity i think the psychological professions have been clear that the development and sexual orientation of any kind is a complex interaction of nature and nurture, and no, and it might be different for everybody, and nobody knows exactly how much is nature and how much is nurture, how much is biology or predetermined in some way, and how much is environment. So we want to address the part that is nurture, that is environmental, that came from the the, the past and some kind of issues uh, growing up or self-esteem issues or something the part that can be addressed by changing the way you think about yourself, having greater self-esteem, greater self-acceptance, um, changing some of the behaviors that might be self, uh, self-destructive rather than self-healing. But when you say, you know, what you just described, I mean, kind of goes back to the core of, uh, you know, the issue itself of whether someone is born certain sexual orientation or it is a learned behavior. What you seem to be saying is that uh, there are people that it is a learned behavior. Yes, they're at least largely a learned behavior or partially. So that's the part we want to address. Well, you know that science, most credible science organizations, medical organizations, psychiatric organizations say that's not the case. No, I think they're saying that it's a complex interaction of nature and nurture and that it's not clear that there there isn't a gay gene that's been found. uh, that that it's not clear exactly how we arrive at a sexual orientation and that it may be different for different people. So what role, if any, does religion play in your organization's objective? Well, we are an interfaith fellowship because most of our the people who come to us are coming uh, from a religious perspective, not all. We're welcoming of Christians, Jews, Muslims, and others, but we're also welcoming of those who are secular or that that's not a factor. Um, it does tend to be a factor for most people who come to us, but not always the overriding factor. 
the overriding factor may be just this doesn't feel this has never felt right for me. And now I admit some people come to our workshop, go through our follow-up programs or whatever, and say, you know what, I've found that I I need to be I'm I'm gay and gay. I I need to live my life as a gay man. Um, that happens as well. And I'd like to think that our our program has helped them find uh, a greater path to peace for themselves that works for them. And that's a minority of people who come through our program, but it is a result because we're not shaming anybody. I I absolutely cannot support any kind of shame-based so-called therapy. I think that's an oxymoron. It's very important to be, to build self-esteem, to uh, say, to build self-empowerment that you get to choose regardless of whether you can control or change your feelings you get to choose how to act on them you get to choose how to identify them and you get to choose whether to dig underneath underneath some of this and say wait are there some underlying needs here that i'm uh, that i'm responding to sexually that i would be better off responding to non-sexually we would try to build up a lot of platonic brotherly love and have that replace the drive for sexual contact for a lot of men and for a great many men that is really what they're looking for they're looking for that platonic brotherly bond that they missed out on and that that meets the need or at least for for many men satisfies it sufficiently that they don't need to and choose not to be in a sexual relationship with another man there's so much of this is about choice and individuality that it's going to be different for everybody and so these broad bands that across the board that you know you should only respond this way or that way i'm i'm always opposed to i would be even though we don't work with minors i think a a ban that says minors don't get to have this opportunity to look at well wait a minute is there a possibility here that your core orientation is going to turn out to be heterosexual and there's other stuff going on um, it sounds like the ban would say no you can't explore that well and, okay when we were, when we're talking about these bans uh, when you're saying that uh, you, you you oppose that I mean part of the reason the main reason that the, the bans exist or have been proposed is that uh, you know the the therapy or however you want to refer to it has been described as harmful and can be abusive in some cases, and it just doesn't work. I would definitely, uh, for myself, I would support a, a ban of forcing any a minor into any kind of a program that is not what he wants. But he needs to be, the minor needs to be able to speak freely with a therapist and explore. I do want to be gay. I don't want to be gay. I, I, I think it's my core identity. I don't think it's my core identity. He needs to be free to explore that and not and not have a therapist who says, well, we can't consider your heterosexual potential. We I'm only allowed to consider your homosexual potential. That's not fair and respectful to the to the minor either. One thing I will ask you, you, you did change your name. It used to be called uh, People Can Change. Uh, and, you know, you said that you have workshops rather than therapy. Uh, you know, I know that the, there are some organizations out there that say that one of the reasons you change the name, that uh, you don't call it therapy for legal reasons, that, uh, you know, you're not a licensed therapist, that, you know, offering workshops. Why did you change the name? We changed the name because it. I named it People Can Change in 2000 when I started it, and it seemed, as of course, the world has changed on this issue since then. It never occurred to me that... Um, that the world would take this and say that somehow that's a shaming uh, 
idea. I thought the idea of uh, that people change over time was an inherent truth that we basically all accept, and a lot of people do accept it, except for sexual orientation. Um, so it was kind of a response to the times because I didn't want to overpromise or overstate, and I didn't want to offend. And so uh, we reexamined the name and said, you know what, this is the, one of the key things that the men who support and to take part in our Journey into Manhood program or, or uh, other programs, they, they, they really value the brotherhood, that they're not alone on this journey. They're not the only ones who, because our, our world portrays, our society portrays a binary, you know, gay or straight path. And if you're gay, then you need to follow, you know, be marching gay pride parades and be out and, and et cetera. And we we are supportive of a much more nuanced journey where you discover for yourself what your sexual identity is and how to live that in a way that is congruent with your values and religious mores, if that's if that's your intention. Rich Weiler is the founder of Brothers on a Road Less Traveled. Mr. Weiler, thank you very much for being with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. All right, we're discussing conversion therapy and a recently passed bill that bans it in the city of Harrisburg, or excuse me, the city of Pittsburgh. Joining us now in studio is Peterson Toscano. Peterson is a native of central Pennsylvania. He's attempted multiple conversion th- programs himself before coming out in lay, late uh, 1998. Now Peterson performs as a comedian, poet, and blogger, is an active in uh, advocating for LGBT rights. Peterson, welcome to uh, Smart Talk. Thanks, Scott. Uh, great to be here. If you have a question or comment, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. We'll try to uh, take a couple more calls here, too. But tell us a little bit about your story. Well, I grew up in the early 80s, which reminds me a lot of the political situation that we're entering into right now, this rise of the moral majority. It became very conservative. And as a young kid who was gay, I was scared. And I was afraid. And I also did the math. And I realized I would be far more valuable to the world if I were more masculine and if I were straight. And so at age 17, out of fear and cowardice and afraid that my parents might reject me, I made the decision that I was going to pursue conversion therapy and try to become straight. I went into through religious programs, um, almost always are religious programs, and I ultimately spent 17 years and over $30,000 on three continents pursuing this elusive dream and these false promises, and it caused unbelievable damage in my life. Uh, boy, there's so many things I want to ask you, but take me through it. I mean, uh, you went through several of the of programs. Were they similar in any way? What were some of the similarities? One thing is important to understand about this is that there are different methods, and often these groups don't agree with each other. So some do talk therapy, like Sarah spoke about it at the HRC. Um, some uh, do 12-step programs. There are support groups, sort of what uh, the gentleman was just talking about, this like brotherhood support groups. Sometimes it's extreme stuff, like exorcisms. Um, I was in a residential facility for two years in Memphis, Tennessee, that was psychological torture in many ways. Now, you'll have one group say, what, exorcisms? We would never do that sort of thing. But the bottom line in all of these programs is they believe there's something wrong with being gay, that it's something better if you're not gay, and that there's some path to find a cure. They will disagree on the path. 
but they all believe that. So let's go back before you decided to uh, pursue this. What were you feeling as you were as you were growing up? I mean, did your parents know that uh, that you were gay? Or I mean, I don't know if you can say you were officially gay since you uh, didn't come out and admit those 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 tendencies or those feelings. I mean, there were there were telltale signs. I mean, I knew I was attracted to other guys once I hit puberty, mm-hmm. and I was different from the other boys. And my parents had an inclination, and I just assumed that they would feel about it like most other people did. Everyone had negative things to say about being gay. And so that was in my head. And I think also part of it as an Italian-American, from a working-class family, Roman Catholic, I saw that the most powerful people on the planet in America were white, Anglo-Saxon, heterosexual Protestants. And so I converted to, to get more power and privilege in the world, really. And that's why these conversion therapy programs almost only work with men, because it's about reclaiming lost power and privilege that you lose when you're a feminized man or you're not seen as a real man in the eyes of society, church, families. Did your parents know you were going through this, these programs? They did. They found out when I was 17 that I um, I was unfortunate situation where I got caught with another boy and it was very um, awkward situation. And I said to them immediately, don't worry, I believe this is wrong and I'm going to change. And at the time, they accepted that because I think they, too, believed my life would be happier if I were straight. Plus, you know, think of all the perks and privileges of being straight. There's weddings. There's all this stuff. There were legal protections at that time. But through the years, they saw how depressed I had become and how isolated and how unhappy and how I lived with this cloud of shame from all this repression. And they actually grew concerned for me towards the end of that journey. Now, did they support you going through the the therapies? They did because they supported my will to do what I wanted to do. They didn't force me. And this is an important point. A lot of times adults choose to do this to themselves because of the societal pressure. Yes, there are parents who force their kids to receive this treatment. And we're seeing that more now, particularly with parents of transgender children and gender nonconforming children. And that has disastrous results. I don't know if you've heard of the case of uh, Leela Alcorn in Ohio. We're going on the two-year anniversary, December 28th. Uh, two years ago, she was 16. She took her life after she came out to her parents as a girl. She was raised as a boy. They put her through Christian conversion therapy. And in a very, very dramatic way, she took her life by stepping into traffic on a highway. And this was the case that moved President Barack Obama to stand up against conversion therapy. And for trans people, they are the new targets. Yes, it's happening to gays and lesbians, but we're really looking at trans conversion therapy. And that means we not only need to have laws to protect this, but we also need to stand up to to support the trans community and to work on trans rights. So you went through these programs, and from what you described, I mean, those of us, especially in hindsight, you know, one in Memphis that sounded like an exorcism, I mean, we, it sounds almost bizarre. Was there ever a time that you responded that, oh, this is working, I'm, I'm now a heterosexual? I wanted it so badly because every dream I ever was told was a heterosexual dream. Mm-hmm. So it was incredibly valuable to me. And so, yeah, I saw little markers of success 
what was interesting is they weren't just interested in our sexuality, but also our gender. So a lot of it was like trying to make us sit and talk and act more like men. One time I called my dad, who's from the Bronx, and I said, hey, dad, today in the program, they taught us how to change the oil in our cars. And he paused and he said, why would you do that? I just go to Jiffy Lube. <laughs> and, and even he saw just how ridiculous it was. But there were these little things like, I'm acting more manly. Right, right. Um, but, you know, ultimately the biggest change came that I became depressed and suicidal. And that was not the change I was pursuing. And that's what parents need to understand. They need informed consent. If you're going to do this to your kid, if you're going to push them down this road, you need to know the damage that can come. And these wonderful laws, like we're talking about in Pittsburgh, they don't necessarily cover the religious-based conversion therapy where most people get it. And so we need to go beyond the laws to really raise awareness of the dangers of these programs and the benefits of accepting ourselves and living in a community that embraces us. So... Your journey through these programs, when did you finally say, you know what, I am I am a gay man, and this is who I am, and no conversion therapy is going to work? It was 1998, almost 99. I, um, I was struggling with the, this thought that I was told you can't be gay and Christian, so I tried to kill the gay part of me for years, and it almost destroyed me, and I had to come to the conclusion, well, this is not working. What if I accept that I'm gay? And I assumed I had to then lop off the Christian part of me, uh, and uh, and I didn't. I, I discovered that I can be a Christian who is authentically gay, um, but it was a process, and it did take community and finding other people, like the one caller spoke about, finding Christians who were understanding and accepting. And I'm, I'm now a Quaker, uh, and I go to a Quaker meeting here in, Connecticut, in Pennsylvania, and, um, you know, finding people who understand the complexity of, of human sexuality and how we're not just one thing. I'm not just a gay guy. I happen to be gay, who is also a Christian, who's concerned about climate change, who's a comic and an artist. And it's not just about coming out gay, but coming out as our whole selves. We have a, a caller who had an experience as well. William is in Warmleysburg. William, you're on the air. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, I just need to say that I've always known I was different, even at the age of four and five, and my parents reflected this difference by ignoring it and then ignoring me. Uh, that led to some behaviors. They trailed me off to a child psychologist when I was 14 who said, if you're going to get anywhere in life, you just have to stop behaving this way and start pretending you're like everybody else. And I pretended my way through over 50 years of, of agony. Uh, I'm 76. Uh, finally just ended up acting out in ways that were very destructive for myself. Not suicidal, but destructive. Uh, I asked myself, why do I keep uh, shooting myself in the foot? And the answer was to keep myself from shooting myself in the head. Uh, that all changed for me in uh, about 15 years ago when I, I met some people and finally just said, damn it, I'm gay and that's it. And uh, since then I don't feel like killing myself. 
Life isn't great, but it's a heck of a lot better than it ever was. Well, William, I mean, I think feel for you having to go through that, but uh, I think we we both can agree that uh, happy that uh, you found out who you are and that you're much happier. Thank you very much for your call. That story probably is typical with a lot of uh, of gay men, gay women, bisexual, transgender. Yeah, it's about pretense, and that's really what's moving about what he said. And so, so often we've been rewarded for being someone we're not in our society, and um, and and that needs to stop, obviously. And and that's why it's important for parents who have LGBTQ kids. If you are supportive, be vocal about it. Don't just assume that they know. Churches, if you are welcoming, make it loud and clear, because most people assume that the church is not going to be welcoming. And there are proactive steps that we can take to promote equality and not just assume it's getting better. We need to work together to, to make it get better. You know, you were talking about, um, you know, the, the show obviously is about conversion therapy and it was, uh, you know, prompted by Pittsburgh banning it. What do you think about these bans? Do you think that, uh, you know, five states and District of Columbia have, have banned it? What do you think of Pennsylvania? Well, I'm so grateful to lawmakers who are looking out after LGBT folks and, and raising awareness about this um, because there, it does cause real harm and it does send a signal. If there's a law in the books that says this is dangerous, parents may take notice. The unfortunate thing is often these bans don't cover all the places where it happens, particularly where it mostly happens, Christian camps, pastors' offices, Christian counselors. These are not licensed folks who are doing it. They're doing it under the guise of ministry. And and there is a protection for their freedom of speech. See, that's one of the things I was thinking about in freedom of religion, too. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is, you know, it, it would be inappropriate to ban it in those places because of our Constitution. That's why we need those who have experienced it need to speak out if they're able to so that people have informed consent. And if you used to run an ex-gay program and one of these conversion therapies and you no longer do, I think it's your responsibility to go back to all the places that you shared your testimony and talked about how God changed you and did this and re-educate the church and say, no, this is wrong, because there's a whole generation of Christian counselors and pastors who have been trained in this way of addressing gay and lesbian, bi and trans people, and they need a renewing of their minds. Peterson Zascano, thank you very much for telling your story today. And uh, coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, we're going to go back about 150 years. Actually, it's uh, something new. Uh, Mercy Street, the PBS series uh, that deals with medicine in the uh, Civil War, Civil War Hospital. The second season is coming up uh, next month, and we'll be talking about the Civil War drama, Civil War medicine, and also slavery. That is coming up on tomorrow's program, so be sure to tune in. By the way, we have a new uh, Twitter feed here in, on uh, WITS Smart Talk. It's Smart Talk. It's at Smart Talk uh, at, uh, let me do this right, at Smart Talk WITF. So see if you can uh, follow us on some.